Like a backstage pass to the world of fly fishing travel, this is Waypoints, the podcast of destination angling. News and events, helpful travel tips, destination profiles, great stories, and expert advice from some of the most seasoned and experienced names in fishing travel. Waypoints is brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures, the industry's number one specialty travel company for the very best insider knowledge, logistical support, and trip preparation. Freshwater or saltwater, international or domestic, Yellow Dog has you covered for your next fishing adventure. And now, your Waypoints host, Yellow Dog founder and director, Jim Klug. Welcome back to Waypoints and the second of our two-part episode with Jesse Colton, the owner of X-Flats Lodge in Ishkalak, Mexico. Once again, we're actually on location and recording this episode here at X-Flats. And in part two, we're focusing on the specific subject of Ishkalak permit fishing and talking to Jesse about his own angling philosophies and opinions. We'll also wrap things up by talking to a handful of X-Flats guests as they finish a week at the lodge, getting their perspective on the fishery, what worked well for their week, and discussing some of their general takeaways. So Jesse, welcome back for part two. Let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep it rolling, man. Let's keep it rolling. Well, we're going to dedicate a good chunk of this, again, to more talk about permanent. I want to jump right into that with the caveat, and we've already talked about this in episode one, that the Ishkalak and Chetumal Bay fishery is super diverse, offers a lot of opportunities aside from the big numbers of permit. You've got bonefish, tarpon, snook, jacks, triggers, cuda. They're kind of all here. But as we also discussed in last episode, there's a lot of attention that's been given to this area, focusing specifically on permit. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times I would change my business card, you know, from owner-operator to, you know, expectations manager. And... And sometimes it's convincing people to to experience the diversity in this fishery. It's impossible to ignore the number of permit here, you know. So um, that's what we've gained notoriety for. And as a personal angler, that's what I love to fish for. So I always encourage people when when they come down and they really want to catch a permit, I'll give them everything I can as far as the recipe that I'm developing to try to do that. Um, and all you can do is go out there with the weather that you've got and and swing at them. Absolutely. Well. We've done, I think, close to 50 episodes of Waypoints, and we've had a number of, of episodes that are dedicated specifically to permit fishing. Like you, it's, you know, for me, it's my absolute favorite thing in the world to do. I love talking to other anglers about technique, their personal permit theories, um, because everyone has different philosophies and opinions. You can't talk to one person and get the definitive answer on how to do it right or how to do it better than anyone else. You can line up, I've always said, 10 or 20 of the greatest, most successful, you know, most seasoned permit anglers on the planet and ask them the same 10 questions and you're going to get different answers from everybody. Of course. That's the beauty of it. And I think, you know, like all fishing, you start to fish well what you believe in. So it starts with the fly and with the rig and what you see success on and what you're good at, um, to some degree, you're going to build confidence in. So for me, um, I fish size six crabs, you know, and I tie it a ton of different variations of them, but the way that I strip a fly and the way I present a fly seems to work best, um, with a crab and, and it seems to work best cast into a fish, um, that is either tailing or moving slow. You know, it, when I see those fish moving around fast is when I start to do what I'm not as good at, which is shrimp fish. Um, and I have some buddies and some, and some people in my life that are fantastic at throwing a shrimp fly. Um, and so you, you try to build a couple different tricks and a couple diversities and, and give yourself a, a better chance to catch fish. 
Well, I want to go a little deeper into flies because I, I sure. feel like we could dedicate about five more episodes just to that conversation. We could talk all day about the material we're going to use on a body, for sure. No doubt. But, you know, I, I really want to kind of pick your brain on, on your personal perspectives on how to catch these fish and specifically what you've learned about the permit fishing from your years here in Ishglak, from the guides, from all the clients that have come through the lodge, and from your own time out on the flats. Um, we talked about this a little bit last, ep- last episode, but let's start with some of your favorite times to focus on permit. I, again, that's a loaded question. We know that because it really depends on what you're handed when you're down here. Sure. And that can change at, you know, any week or month of the year throughout the seasons. But kind of your favorite times when you found the most success and the most consistency. So going through my permit journal about hookups and, and catches, I've found that I've hooked them and caught them every month of the year. The majority... I would say, like, if I were to really crunch the numbers, I would guess that over 70 or 80% have either come late spring, summer, leading into early fall. Um, winter, as I look through, it's bizarre. Winter, I have some days in the winter, January, December, you know, November, where I've caught multiple fish in a day, which is not as common for the late spring, fall. But what I would say for winter is that if you have a really long-standing cold front, where the fish get cold and are not feeding, as soon as you have one or two good days of east front, warm currents, warm weather, they're extra hungry. So you'll see those days where you catch multiple fish in a day. But the most consistent hookup rate for me is warm water. Warm water, east to southeast fronts. So we're talking May through October. Um, that's my favorite time. Okay, dive a little bit more into that with, sure. with conditions, kind of ideal weather conditions, factors that... Again, as soon as someone figures out how to accurately predict this, um, I want to know the technology because it's going to be a game changer. But uh, if you can have your perfect ideal conditions to find really happy permit, describe that to us. Okay. So I would say, you know, it'd be pretty run of the mill from what you hear from most people, maybe with a difference or two. I like, you know, seven to 12 knots of wind from the east to southeast, warmer wind. Um, and I like that because both the bay and the ocean side here in Ishklak will be fishable, you know. And, and some people want glass, but I think they get a little too touchy on that, on those super, we call it ping pong weather, where it's just, you could be out there and it's just, you, you can hear a pin drop. It's so calm. Um, that I gets like, tough. It gets tough. Yeah, yeah people, people beg for it until it's, until it's here and you're getting bit by bugs and not catching fish and spooking them. Seven, to, seven knots to 12 knots with a little bit of disturbance on the water is beautiful. Obviously, we want the lights on. We want bright, 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 sunny. You want to be getting sunburned. You want to be covering up. And then what I like and what most people will email me about hoping that it's not around is I like sargasso. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an invasive um, seaweed, essentially, that it happens naturally, but it's coming in, in in bigger increments than it used to. When it hits the shore and when it dies and decomposes, it does become a problem. And, you know, all over the Caribbean, they're dealing with it and working on it. What I'll say for when it's coming in and it's alive is fish love it. I mean, crabs are stuffed up in there. That's when you see the floating crab really turn on. Um, You start to see tarpon coming in a little bit earlier than they would. So, yeah, my perfect day is is some fresh sargasso rolling in with about 10 kilometers or 10 10 knots of wind, rather. And then... You're always kind of on the hunt for, for happy permit. And I think sure. that's a phrase that gets thrown out 
quite a bit by permit anglers, but describe to, to people that may be new to this what a happy permit is. Sure. So my happy permit might be different than someone else's. You know, people are really people are really looking for those tailing fish. That's what I always hear people really wanting to see, pods of tailing fish. And that is a successful look for sure. Those permit are feeding, there's no doubt. And people want to see big schools. I like big schools too, but the happiest school of fish that makes me the happiest is, you know, I describe it as like four or five buddies drunk leaving a bar. It's like they're together, <laughs> but they're sort of bouncing off each other a little bit and kind of maybe it's they're together, but they're sort of independently weaving around. And those fish like to eat flies. That might be my favorite description <laughs> of all time. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Like they're kind of bouncing. Everybody knows what you're talking yeah, about. They're We've bouncing shoulders. Yeah. And, you know, those uniform schools of fish that are moving like everybody's on this one heartbeat, one drum. Those fish are hard to turn. And, and, and they're using the school mentality to kind of alert each other of dangers. When you have four or five bigger fish that are together but independently hunting, bouncing around, those fish will compete with each other for a fly, and they're going to eat. And, and like the, the drunk buddies leaving the bar, they're not in a huge hurry. Yeah. You know, they're moving kind of slow. <laughs> and they're not looking for anything specific either. You know what I mean? They're a little, they're a little bit more, uh, they're, they're a little bit, they have a more general kind of view. A, a relaxed attitude about <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, exactly. I love it. That's exactly. perfect. Well, let's talk a little bit about tides, because we get this question a lot when we're booking people anywhere in the salt. People always sure. say, well, I've got to have the best tide. And my question oftentimes is like, well, why and, and what tide are you thinking? And, and a lot of people just don't know, right? They, yeah. they have been told for years that tides have a big impact on it. But talk to us about the tides in the Ishkalak fishery, how big of a factor, what you like, what you typically see down here. I would say about tides, and as I look through the journal, again, because that's to me that's the science. Like I can use my own memory, but for me when I really want to answer a question to myself, I look through the journal. And anybody, by the way, that's listening to this that wants to be a serious permanent angler, I highly, highly recommend the journal method above everything. If you have a hookup, write everything down. The guide's name, the time of day, the temperature, the temperature of the water, what was going on, where you were fishing, what you were doing, your strip, everything, write it down, whether you caught them or not. Or if you have a buddy that tells you a story, yeah, put yeah. that information sure. in there too. As long as you trust them. <laughs> you can't. There's We're all fishermen. There's after buddies all. that I don't trust their stories. So, you Big know. Big asterisk next yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah, it's entry. like I made a perfect cast. It was 85 feet, da da da. <laughs> okay. Bullshit. So, um, I guess back to tides, as I look through the journal, I feel the same way about tides that I feel about moon phase. I think it's a factor, a really small factor. Um, I'm not of the belief that, it, particularly in Ishkalak, that tides and moon phase are going to be what catches you a permit or not catches you a permit. Um, do they matter? A little bit. You know, in Ishkalak, you almost won't notice the tide. If you look at our dock every single day, there's a stick in the water next to it. It's like a five-inch, six-inch tide on drastic days. It's not the Indian Ocean. Not at all. Yeah. You know, it's, it's miles and miles from it. I mean, the Caribbean sometimes just feels like a big, giant lake to me. Um, they matter a little bit, particularly if there's enough water in the bay. And most of what affects that tide, for the most part, is wind direction. So again, this is why I like an east wind. Then if I, we have a heavy north wind, it will push water out of the bay and back into the ocean and slick it out a little bit too skinny for what permit like. Even on a spring tide, when it's supposed to be high tide conditions, Correct. it can be drained by the wrong wind direction. Drained by the wrong wind direction, right? So um, paying attention to the tide charts... Can, can be helpful, but, but can be 
what, what, what ends up really happening the day of is where that wind direction is coming from. So, you know, I always try to steer anglers away from booking their trips based on moon phase or tides. Um, especially if, you know, when you're fishing from a boat here, this fishery is so big that, you know, depending on where the tide is, the fish might be 15 or 20 feet further out on that flat because our flats are big here. You know, our, our reef, when it gets really close up north, it matters a little bit more. But bay and most of our oceanside fishing are pretty tide safe, I'd say. And, you know, there is a school of thought out there, and you talk to some pretty serious permit anglers, and they will tell you that any movement of tide, that the permit like a little bit of a push of water across their back, and whether sure. it's in a, again, like an Indian Ocean fishery where you have a three-meter swing and, and the tides are ripping like a fast-moving river, or down here, where, as you said, you can sometimes barely notice that, that tidal swing, just that little push of current. Do you see that make a difference? I do. And that's why, you know, again, I would go back to saying that I like 10 knots of wind because 10 knots of wind a lot of times has an effect on what's going on with that water and current. So I like a little bit of current. I want to be able to cast out in front of a fish and let it naturally arrive to him. That goes back to me being a crab fisherman. So in my opinion, people that fish shrimp flies are going to grab that fish out of the school as, as an attention grabber. It's a, it's a faster strip. A lot of times it has some pink flash it has some things that are really trying to grab the attention of a permit that wants to go be a jack and go get a fly um i'm a crab fisherman so i want the permit that naturally finds the fly i want to make out cast out in front of them to their outer eye and my strip is so slow that really all i'm doing is pulling the tension out of the line and if i have current if i have a little bit of current that's going to help me a lot it's going to take that fly to the fish without me having to smack it right on his head um, and it's going to allow that fish to find the fly organically and say, great, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Tail up on it. Boom. I love that. Cause, you know, the, the crab fisherman versus the, the streamer fisherman. Almost. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's essentially what it is in a lot of cases. And it works great if the permit are super bitey and grabby and aggressive. And as you said, if they're coming out of a school, a lot of times you'll get that one greedy one that'll charge ahead and, and smoke that shrimp pattern. But for sure. And I have friends that think that that's more fun anyways. Um, for me and my own personal angling, I've just had better success on crabs. So, and I've gotten better at tying them. I've gotten better at tying variations of them. So I think it's, it's really just comes down to where your own personal permit journey leads you. And when you, where you find success is where you're going to build more pillars of, of creativity on top of that to try to get better at it. And it's interesting, you know, in, in talking to your guides, because these are the same questions I ask them every day when we're out with different guides. They're huge fans of the crab fishing in general down here, but they will tell you, especially on the ocean side, they, they only want crabs. Yeah. And that sometimes in the bay, they go to uh, shrimp patterns. Sure. You know, more of that, that kind of streamer presentation. But for the most part, they're crab disciples. Yeah, they are. And I think actually that's one of the big changes in this fishery from when I was first down here. You know, when I was first down here, it was the Ververcas mantis shrimp, tan, brown legs. That's what everybody wanted to fish. Um, and I think we kind of bit a little bit of information from some Ascension Bay guys that were doing a lot of small crab pattern fishing. You a know? little raghead. Little ragheads. Yeah. Little yeah. size sixes. Little guys. Um, you know, and, and then once I made that switch, it reminded me of, you know, trout fishing back in the day. When you clearly didn't know what you were doing, you'd be throwing flies that were too big. You'd be throwing a hopper at some fish that wanted to eat a size 22 Mitch. And as soon as you downgraded, even if it was a big fish... You were in the game. 
And to me, when we made our, you know, sort of mentality change there of just throwing the biggest food we can throw at him to throwing smaller, techie, but smart food at him, that's what started creating a, a, a higher hookup rate for sure. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about permit behavior. We talked about the, uh, you know, the six buddies leaving the bar late at night. I love that description. <laughs> Drunk buddies, yeah. That's right. But, but tell me a little bit about your personal philosophies, what you've seen, what you've learned down here as to how permits see. When they're out hunting and they're feeding, whether they're, they're eating naturals or they're, you know, your fly is drifting in front of them, how do you think permits see? My opinion is that they don't see very well. Um, I've had people tell me that the reason they don't eat flies is because their vision is spectacular. Um, but, you know, I have drawn attention of bonefish and other fish by throwing a cast six feet in front of them to what I would call their inner eye, meaning that the eye that's closest to me as it's crossing in front of me, they will see it. If I throw a fly to the inner eye of a permit, I almost never get their attention. So the, the general instinct of someone that doesn't want to spook a permit that they've almost never seen is they tend to lay up. They tend to lay up because they don't want to line them, right? They got a fish at 45 feet crossing from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. Perfect. Wind's on their left shoulder. They're a right-hand caster. Everything's lining up great. And they lay that fly. Say they lay it 18 inches in front of the fish, which is great, but they lay it on the inside eye meaning the closer eye to them as that fish is crossing to him because they don't want to line the fish. The fish will move right along with his business and he'll never even know you existed, in my opinion. Just ignore you. If you cast that fly a little further and get a little braver and cast that fly even a foot or two past the outer eye, as long as you're 18 inches in front of him, and then you pull that fly, there's no way he's ignoring you. He's going to make a decision. He's going to make a decision that you're A, full of shit, or B that you've got something he wants to eat. They still may not want to be a player, but they're at least going to see oh, it. No, more times than not, they still <laughs> think you're full of shit and they want to get out of here. But I would at least like to have them make a decision. I want them to know that I was at least here. If I spent all this time to try to get good at casting, to try to tie a fly, to get out there on the boat, to drive five hours down from Cancun, you know, or the whole thing, at least let them know that you're here. So let's pivot a little bit from sight to smell. How important do you think uh, that is? How much of a factor for permit feeding? I mean, and when you look at a permit, if you haven't studied photos of a permit, you look at essentially the, the four nostrils that they have. Right? Sure. Talk to us about your philosophies on how permits smell and how they utilize that when feeding. So scientifically, I can't speak to it. One thing that I will write in my journal is that is when a fly was tied and, and like when, you know, what I used to make that fly. Like, did I have UV resin? Did I use zap goo? How much glue was on the fly? Did I use a Sharpie? All this stuff. How much rum did I spill on the tying table? Exactly. I did I use it? sunscreen? Yeah. All this stuff that we're told we're not supposed to do. And what I will say for it is even though these fish love live crabs, we all know that. You go down anywhere in the world and you slap on a live crab, they want to eat it. I've caught a lot of fish, not a lot, I've caught a handful of fish where my fly is right off the press, meaning glue's still drying. UV res is freshly dried. I put some Sharpie stripes Smells on like the chemical. legs. Smells like something I wouldn't want to eat. <laughs> and so, you know, I, 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 it, it breaks my brain, to be honest with you, Jim. Like, I don't know. I think smell must matter. I think they must have a good sense of smell. Otherwise, they'd eat flies more. But I have caught just as many fish off a freshly chemical-painted fly than anything else. You know, there's guys that, that'll, that'll put crab goo on their fly or whatever 
and never touch a fish. That's not me. For me, I, I just think about presentation. Yeah. And, and it is interesting because you'd think that, that they would eat. I mean, flies have gotten so good, right? They've gotten yeah. so realistic um, or so well tied these days uh, that oftentimes they fool the angler. They fool me. I look down in the box. I'm like, that, that looks real as hell, right? Real. Um, but permit will still oftentimes swim up to it, get a look at it. Right. And you can almost hear them thinking, well, that's a size six hook with uh, some orange rubber legs. I think the orange is a little too bright on the tip and the barbell eyes are a different color yellow than I prefer to eat. Yeah. Right? Where's this felt from? Michael's? Were right. you bargain shopping? Are you kidding me with this? <laughs> yeah, come on. But I'm a gentleman. Yeah. As you said, <laughs> you throw a live crab at them and they'll move 10 feet out of the way and just smoke the thing yep. more often and then than not. Eyesight, smell, everything goes out at presentation. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So what's, what's, what's alive about that crab? I guess what's the characteristic of about that live crab that's making it so alive? Is it the smell? Is it the movement? Is it the look? I don't know. You know, there's flies that I tie that I think this looks so realistic and so cool and I'll never get a look on it and I'll abandon it. And there's flies that look, for back of, you know, lack of a better word, stupid, that will, that will work great. Um, so that's the hardest part is figuring out what are these little things that make the permit think to themselves, this is alive and I want to eat it. Well, you said something really cool the other day. We were having a conversation uh, out on the dock and you were talking about presentation to permit and then you know, changing flies. And you said that you, you usually will stick with a fly that traditionally, and again from your journal, from your years down here, you know it works. You've caught many fish on it before. So rather than quickly discarding that fly and saying, I got to go in a totally different direction with a new pattern, there's a lot of things you're going to do first as far as presentation goes. For sure. I think throwing the kitchen sink is a mistake. I think because, because one great fish that was happy turned down a fly because, you know, this is the reason I don't write failures in the journal. You don't know. You don't know what he saw or what was going on with him or what happened to him that day that made him turn down the fly. So going to throw some wacky fly in your box that you think might turn him, the next fish you cast to might be perfectly happy that day and might eat the cream of the crop, but you throw something weird at him and next, next thing you know, you're just missing fish. So I am of the belief that believe in the flies that you're throwing, change the way that you're fishing it, change, you know, like a lot of people come down here and they ask, what's the permit strip? You know, what, what am, how am I stripping this fly? And that question is a lot more complicated and in a different way, a lot more simple than people make it out to be. The way you strip a crab is you strip it the way that the permit is going to approach it. So like, you know, long and slow, yes. But if he's too far behind it, you got to stop the fly. And every guide on our team would kick me in the ass right now for saying this. But if you don't stop your fly while a permit is casually following your fly, he's just going to follow it until he gets to the boat and leave. And we hear that story all the time. Guides are afraid for you to stop your fly because they're afraid you're going to miss an eat, which is real. But permit are curious animals, curious fish. They like to check things out. They don't love to commit. If you're getting fish that are following and you're afraid to stop your fly mid-follow, he's just going to follow it until he sees the boat and leave. If you're brave enough and you have enough fly awareness to stop your fly, they don't have reverse, right? They can choose to go left or right or stop and get out of there. But if you stop your fly, it's going to do two things. It's going to stop moving and it's going to sink. And your next trip is going to pull that fly back up and he's going to be right on top of it. So it forces him to make a decision. So I don't change my fly. I get a little braver with it. 
you know, I'll start, I'll start, I'll start working the stop in. I'll maybe lengthen my leader a little bit. I'll maybe start casting a little more aggressively, but you're right. No, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't throw the kitchen sink. Well, let's talk about the concept of reading a permit. And again, I think there's some people that don't know what that might mean, but, but talk about reading fish behavior because it changes not just with given days or different conditions, but from fish to fish. You know, what, what you see and find with one school of four or five fish, then you see a big single over here, they're all going to be acting differently. They're all going to be behaving differently. And you've got to read that fish. Talk to us a little bit about that. Totally. I think uh, reading fish is something that can only be learned and absorbed when you're when you're spending time, you know, it's, it's like nervous water. You can't see it at first and then you can, um, We're doing a little rum refill here. Yeah. Give question. me, I'll yeah. just do a little just one a little, and a half there, right there. Yeah. Jim's a big rum guy, which is, you know, refreshing for the Caribbean. Cause we do a lot of tequila down here, but yeah. this yeah. is, this is nice. And this tequila's is good too, but you know, Cuban rum, this is the way to go. And you can get it in Mexico. Havana club seven. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get it in, uh, in the States. So. Exactly. So go. sorry uh, to interrupt. No, you're good. You're good. I'm, um, so reading fish, I would say, it really matters how you cast a fish depending on what their body language is. Obviously, if they're up in the column moving faster and they're moving in one direction, you're going to give them a bigger lead and you're going to strip your fly a little faster so it stays higher up in the water column. If they're angled down really calmly, moving really slow, they can change directions a lot. You might shorten your lead a little bit, but you might open your loop up. You know, People are so dedicated to this tight loop thing of double hauling that they forget that if it's calm out and if the fish is tailing and moving slow, you throwing a tight loop is going to land pretty hard on the water. So at some times, you need to open that loop up a little bit, get it to land a little softer and strip it a little bit slower, let the fly get down. Body language of the fish is everything into how you present the fly. You know, it, it, it's such a big range and it's just one of those things that is really, really hard to, to teach or to talk about or to explain to someone. It's something that your body learns and your mind learns over time of casting that fish. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've equated it many times on this show, certain fishing techniques. I mean, it's like playing golf, which I don't play, or skiing, which I love. But the more you do it, the better you get. The more intuitive it becomes, the easier it is for you to make, you know, kind of quick decisions on what's going to be more effective, whether it's in your turn or your you know, stroke, if you're golfing or whatever, but it's the same thing with permit fishing. And, and the other thing that comes with that is a little bit more of kind of a Zen like attitude. And when you come down once a year and you got, you just want it so bad and you're going out of your mind, you're on the bow and you inevitably kind of lose it. You know, they call it buck fever if you're a big yeah. hunter. Uh, but the more you do it and the more you just take a deep breath. And, and I often, you know, my personal trick is I tell myself, you know what? Fish probably isn't going to eat anyway because it's a permit. But I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to make sure he sees it, as you talked about just a second ago. I'm going to put my cast in there. I'm not going to lose my mind. I'm not going to freak out. I, I don't want to be, you know, making mistakes because my heart rate is accelerating so much. I'm just going to. You know, keep it as chill as I can, and, and typically better things will happen. I think you, you could not be more on the money there, and I think that's the reason, a big reason. I heard you say that the other day, and I was like, man, I'm going to pinch that. I'm going to take that from Jim because that's part of the reason you've been successful you know, in, in, in your permit fishing career, and um, it's something that is just so elusive of, of being cool when fish are there, um, and it's easily gained as you get more success, 
it's really hard to accomplish before you've had some permit in your hands, right? Like teaching someone that hasn't had a permit in their hands that really wants it, that tends to get harder as you don't catch them, right? You've met guys four, five, six, seven, eight years of running trips that haven't had good weather or good conditions or happy fish. And they tend to get less chill as opposed to more chill. And so it's really tough. But yeah, I think the more you can cast at them with confidence and, and, and some calm, you're always going to cast better. You're always going to see the fly better. I mean, casting is important, but knowing where your fly lands in relation to the fish is everything because it tells you when to strip the fly. It lets you know how long to sink it. Um, a great guide will be able to tell you, okay, great cast, wait, 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 strip, slower strip, little pause. Like, but the ability to understand and see that as an angler is the fishiness that helps you catch a fish or not catch a fish. There are certain permit that are just going to eat a fly, right? There's that permit that you cast a fly in the water and it's just his time and it's his day and he yeah, wants to You put to it on his tail, he Boom. spins on spins his around, head, smokes it. Does a backflip. We, we've heard the stories a million times. Most of the permit, you have to convince them to eat. You got to convince them that your food is real and that they've found it organically and it's game time. And then you got to do everything right to not mess it up as they investigate. Um, that's the fish that's hard to catch. That's the fish that we don't usually catch. And that's the fish that if you stay cool and you stay with your fly that you might catch. Yeah. It's well said. I like that. And, and probably the biggest piece of advice I think you can give to permanent anglers is just stay calm, which is really hard to do. I know so much easier said than done. (laughs) And I can, I can talk a lot of shit right now, but you know, we might go out tomorrow and we're going on a boat and I see a big fish. Yeah. I'll still get nervous. Yeah, because we love it. We're still getting excited it. about it, right? It, it never goes away. That's right. And Absolutely. that's the best part about it, right? I mean, it never goes away. Well, I want to circle back to something you, you started in this episode. We were talking about flies, kind of your favorites. And, and talking permit flies is a rabbit hole that we could go so deep on. It would take hours, if not days, to really break all this down. But I want to keep it fairly short. I want to ask you about your kind of favorite most effective permit flies for this specific Ishkalak fishery? What are, what are your go-tos? If, if, we, if you're taking one box out on the flats with you, yeah. what are we going to see in there? So, again, mostly crabs, obviously. But, you know, the couple shrimp that I will have in there, just to not hate on the shrimp game altogether, is um, big Christmas Island flies. You know, the Christmas Island shrimp or a big gotcha with long rubber legs. If you want to be an attention grabber and you see fish high up in the column, moving fast, those will work. Ververcus mantis shrimp is one of the tried and trusted flies, you know, in this part of the Yucatan. Guides love it. It's the most boring looking fly in the world, but hats off to Ververcus. They love it sometimes. It fouls a lot, which is what I don't like. You know, what I like in a fly is if I can cast it six, seven times in a row in the wind, and when I pick it back up in my hand, the legs aren't underneath the hook. I think one of the biggest mistakes in fly selection and casting is us not paying attention and caring about fouling flies. Um, if your legs are wrapped underneath your hook after three casts, you're not fishing a fly. So when you tie flies, when you test flies, if they're fouling, change it. Um, so Ververicus mantis shrimp, big Christmas islands, big gotcha, maybe an Avalon at times, a smaller Avalon. I really like crazy legs, silly legs. I like orange with the black stripes, you know, I, I like those legs a lot. Um, and then when I get into my crab box, I am, Beck's fleeing crab is just, you know, what an amazing fly that is. Down here, it's kind of like 
if we catch a fish on it early in the week, we'll switch to it because we'll catch every fish the rest of the week on it. Um, if we don't, and if they don't want it, we abandon it. I don't know what's going on in the water there. I haven't, ha- I haven't found a single consistency in my journals about why Beck's fleeing crab sometimes is hot and sometimes is dead, but it's one of those hot or not flies. Mr. Consistency is the raghead. Small raghead, size four, size six. It's like the viverkas of, of the crab world. It's kind of boring and unspectacular, but, I mean, it's gotten them down here for decades all over the yeah. Yucatan. Yeah, and if you fish it right, yeah. um, it's going to do you justice. And it's, you're not going to scare a fish off with it. You know, it's, it's not going to be a fly that pulls a fish out of a school and he charges over six feet to eat it. But it is a fly that they will always investigate. Um, if you fish it right. Well, here's something I want to bring up, Jesse, because this seems to happen a lot at every saltwater lodge in the planet, right? So a client, an angler, somebody who's getting ready for their trip, they do their research, they bring down the flies, whether the flies recommended from a booking agent or from the lodge itself, they go onto the website, they get down, and maybe on day one, they go out with the first guide, they open their box, and the guide says, no, these <laughs> these flies are not going to work, right? Every time. Every time. Every and time. Then, you go with a different guy the next day, and you show him the same flies. He's like, oh, my God, you got all my favorite flies. <laughs> talk, yeah. talk to us a little bit about how this works, because every single traveling anger out there has been frustrated by this in the past, and it always varies, not just among destinations or, or different lodges that might be in the same area, but among the guide teams themselves, people who guide the same waters for the same lodges. It's unbelievable. I mean, we have guide meetings about this, upon guide <laughs> meetings. of like, let's just settle on... A, a list and you of all the things we talk about in our meetings all these really important controversial issues we talk about in our meetings the fly list is what has people standing up out of their chairs yelling at each other because they just disagree so you know so diversely on it so um poor sean lawson you know the guy on the mexico desert yellow dog he's just like jesse come on man give me a fly list that your guides are going to stand behind so the clients don't feel like they are like feel like they're prepared easier said than done. easier said than done it's changing all the time um guides will become sort of asphyxiated on a certain thing for a couple weeks you know like a bigger white fly with long pink or orange legs all of a sudden they decide is like you know they'll have some success on it and they'll get really sort of into that and and that's what they want to see so it really is just changes so much that updating the fly list is almost a weekly or at least bi-monthly situation. Um, and the other hard part about it is sometimes the guides don't want to tell me what <laughs> they're catching fish on because they don't want the other guys to know. So like we're a team, but part of what drives good permit fishing is a guide that wants to catch permit and, and wants to be the best. And, and our guides are great friends, but they're competitive and I love it. I, 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 think it's, I think it's good. I think it's productive to the fishing to an extent. At times, we need to get together and say, hey, guys, here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. We want everybody to have a good time. But, you know, these guys are all, you know, ex-football players or soccer players, if you will. And, 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 and there's an ex-football player in all of us. We're, we're in fly fishing, but a lot of us played other sports, and we like to be competitive. So 
I have to respect that in him, but I still need the flat list. <laughs> I still need the flat list. Well, I, I think it's important to remember that it, wherever you're going in the world, especially in saltwater, right, where you're buying all your flies ahead of time, you're bringing them with you, tying them ahead of time, you got to know that every guide has different patterns that they believe in. And as Jesse just said, this routinely changes. And, and what one guide swears by, the guide the next day will say, yeah, no, that doesn't work at all. We hate that fly. And it's just constantly changing, constantly evolving. My biggest piece of advice to people is whether you're tying flies or buying flies, you don't need to go super deep in a couple of patterns. You want to go kind of broad with some different sizes, different colors, add some diversity in there. Different weights. Different weights, different yeah. sink rates. Mm -hmm. So important, especially with permit crabs and shrimp patterns, different sink rates. That's, that's yeah. crucial. I think that's huge, Jim. I think pick some patterns that are simple and, and, and that are trusted and then make variations. Different leg colors, dumbbell eyes versus bead chain eyes, lead dumbbell versus non-lead, small versus medium. I think you're right on the money there. Like diversify the way that the fly is going to act in, in the water instead of diversifying your pattern with 20 different patterns. Tie six patterns a bunch of different ways and you'll be in better shape. Well, and, and I can pretty much guarantee you that regardless of what the guide picks out, if that permit eats it, it's probably going to be his new favorite fly. 100% changes mind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so spot on. So spot on. Well, let me ask you this. Um, as, as a lodge owner, and, and you've been doing this now for several years down here, what are the most common mistakes that you see anglers make when fishing for permit or casting into a permit down here? And you come in, you hear all the you know, war stories, the glory stories at the end of the day. What are the common themes as far as common mistakes? I'd say... Stripping the fly too fast, for sure, is, is probably number one, particularly when fishing with crabs. You know, it's just, it's a painfully slow strip most of the time um, because you really want the fish to get on top of that fly, unless you're fishing a floating crab, obviously, but for the most part, you want that fly to be underneath the permit. You want him to approach it and tilt up upon it. So stripping the fly too fast means not only that the fly is moving outside of the permits vision zone and window, but it's also moving up in the column as you strip it. You know, it's, it's rising. You're, you're standing on a boat, you know, three and a half feet above the water. So as you're stripping it, it's coming up. Um, so stripping too fast is a big mistake. Um, also, you know, I'm of the belief that you don't cast until you see them. And, and that's, that's really tough. And our guides don't like it. You know, our guides, when, once a fish is at 45, 50 feet, uh, they, want the, they want the angler to cast. And I get that. Um, but the percentages are so low of hooking these fish in general. If you don't see the fish, the percentages just get insanely low. And it's hard because the guides 98% of the time see the fish before you do, or even when you don't. And they're like, you know, 11 o'clock, 40 feet. It's yeah. right there. And this tends to happen more on day one and day two than maybe at the end of the week when you've kind of gotten your eyes dialed in a little bit, but it's super common. And For sure. you want to be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just shoot. I'll, I'll pretend I see it. But a lot of times it doesn't work out well. Well, and when you see something in this world in general, not just fish, but when you see something, you see it in an instant. It's not like it happens all at once. So there's times where I've ignored my own advice and casted before I see a fish. And as I'm letting go of the fly line, I see that the fish is at 1030 and I'm casting at 1130 and I'm going to land my fly line on his tail. And if I had waited for another 0.01 seconds, I was going to see it. So just wait. 
I think that's the biggest mistake. Just wait and keep asking questions until you see these boys. And then when you do, then make your cast. That's great advice. And I, and I think it's not spoken enough, honestly, because right. we all want to be in the game. We want to follow God's instructions. We want to put it out there and, For sure. and, and just hope that maybe the fish sees the crab or the, or the shrimp, even when we're not seeing the fish. Like it all just kind of comes together. And most often it doesn't. Most often it does not. And the way that people describe 50 feet is just vastly different, too. So that's also, you know, a challenge. Well, how about a, a few key pieces of advice for anglers that are looking to land their first permit on a flyer? There are things that an angler can do ahead of time before their trip, things that can really help people arrive, I guess, more ready, more set up for success for a week down here. Absolutely. I think the obvious thing is is casting practice, which is just like such a tedious, bizarrely inconvenient event when you're not on the flats, you know, like going to a local park when there's wind and casting in the wind is, is something that's just not that fun to do. But, um, if you're comfortable with your rod and your fly line, which I think is big, you know, a lot of people ignore the fly line, but feeling good with your fly line and feeling good with that double haul is huge. Um, apart from that, I think, watching videos and like I grew up you know skateboarding and snowboarding and snowmobiling and the way I learned to do things was to watch videos and watch the pros do it and watch guys that I admire doing it so I think um, anybody that's interested in it the more you sort of dive into other people that have done it and try to listen to and absorb it and watch it it's going to help you it just is you know and I always tell that to guys that are down here we were talking about riding the pine earlier when you're not up on the bow when you're not up on the bow is a tremendous opportunity for you to be calmly looking for fish because when you're on the bow and someone sees fish and you don't, you sort of just go into bizarro blackout land and it puts you even further away from seeing the fish. When you're not on the bow, unless you feel like taking a nap, get up and look for them. Try to make up your mind that you're going to see them before the guide. I know this is straying outside the question a little bit, but, but what I'm talking about here is like, Every time you see a fish, every time you see a school of permit, it registers somewhere in your backlog and it teaches your brain how to see them. And it's so hard to do that back home because seeing them is catching them. Most of the people that come down here, people listen to this podcast, you guys are fishy. Everybody's fishy. Everybody knows how to catch a fish when it's in front of them if they put some time in. But seeing the fish just takes time and practice and and every time you see one, it's gonna, you're going to see one quicker on the next one. Well, good advice, for sure. And uh, it's so funny. Everybody's going to say, you know, with every guest that Jim has on this podcast, he always asks a question at the end, what can people do to be more in the game? And it's the same answer every time. It's always about casting. Yeah, <laughs> But I it know, is. I, I mean, know. that's how important it is. It you is. Know, you especially gotta get, here. you got to get the fly there. Yeah. you got to get the fly there. It's tough. But, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, People that are better listeners and communicators and are often sometimes do better than the better casters. I mean, communication with your guide is like, okay, you see a fish at 40 feet at 11 o'clock. What are you seeing? Is it, are you seeing nervous water? Are you seeing the, the black on their backs? Are you seeing the silver of their bodies? Like, just give me more. Um, those people will see the fish faster and, and a lot of times be able to get the fly there and, and hopefully hook them up. That's awesome advice for yeah. sure. So, What's, what's next, Jesse? What's, what's next in your life, the next big plans? Where do the next few years take you? I mean, apart from the fact that I could just die a happy man now, you know, I, uh, 
yeah, I'd like to keep pushing. I'd like to keep seeing some new fisheries. And um, I think one of the beautiful things about this job is, is I've just made some great friends, including yourself, Jim, in, in, in my 30s. And, and people that don't have a hobby like fishing, a lot of times after college, it seems like they stop making friends. I mean, I, I've continued to make great friends every single year. People coming through these lodge doors, uh, people that I'm meeting at conventions and fly shows and all that stuff. And so my life's growing every year, um, and it's beautiful, and I got no intention of, of slowing down. I want to continue to see this fishery and this business grow in a positive way without creating kind of harm. I don't want to. I don't want to dent this fishery by by being too busy or or being too active. But I do want to see it grow, and I do want to see the business grow. And and uh, I'll just keep my eyes open and and listen to advice like guys from you and guys that are trying to help me and and hopefully make the right next move. Well, you built something great down here. Congratulations. Thank and you, uh, I feel fortunate to be able to come down and, and see what you're doing and spend time with you. And, and for our listeners that are, are serious about not just permit fishing, but just having a great saltwater experience for the week, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's amazing. So Thank you, Jim. We're going to uh, segue out and close out this episode by talking to some of the guests that have been here this week. But before we sit down with those guys, Jesse, thank you again so much for your time and for your wisdom and sharing it with our listeners. We appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Do it anytime, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Recently, I had a listener suggest the idea of talking with actual anglers and clients on location at a lodge, asking them about their takeaways after a week of fishing. So to close things out with this two-part episode, I've asked a handful of anglers here at X-Flats, guests from different places throughout the U.S., to share their accounts and opinions of the fishery and the program that Jesse has created. None are connected to the lodge, nor do they work in the fly fishing industry. They're regular clients who have been asked to share their perspective and experience on the area, the fishing, and the lodge. Now, we're recording these conversations here in the X-Flats bar. So people are coming in and out. Doors are slamming. Dogs are running around. Food is being cooked. It's a great overall scene on the last day of the week. The ambient noise that you're hearing in the background is the sound of lodge life, the sound of great energy, shared stories, hilarious laughter, and general happiness. It's, it's a pretty good scene if you could put that in your mind. So first up is Chad Schleusner from Alaska. Chad, how was the week here at X Flats? It was fantastic. Tell me, uh, tell me about your takeaways. You've been here seven days. Uh, what was kind of the fishing highlight of your week? The fishing highlight was just the location. It's so fishy. It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and there's so many opportunities for uh, great fishing, and not just you know a single species, but many species. And it's just uh, yeah, it's just a great place to fish um, on the planet. How are the guides? The guys were exceptional. So first off, they're just professionals. Uh, you know, you fish all over the world, and you have guides that can just see unbelievably well, and you, you just are amazed by how, you know, how good they can see fish and, and get you dialed in on them. Here, they have that, and they're super professional. They get you locked in exactly where you need to cast, and then they're fun. They're just really, really fun. And so when you get that combination together, it's beautiful. And so, yeah, the guides are fantastic, and it just makes the fishing fantastic. It's difficult, and everyone has challenges in this uh, sort of game, but, uh, but they just make it fun and, uh, and then keep you confident and keep you on the fish, and then that just makes your chances even better, and it's, it's a blast. 
So any advice you can share with someone who hasn't been here before and is thinking about making the trip down? What would, what would you tell them ahead of time? Oh, wow, that's a, that's a big question. I mean, it's, it's just, just be prepared to just have a great time, be relaxed, and, uh, and then just you know, go at your own speed and, um, and just experience the best of Mexico. Um, it's a great small town, not a lot here, so just you know, take care of yourself and be prepared for it. But the, other than that, they just take care of you. Right on. Well, thanks so much, Chad. So next up, we have Jack Strau from North Carolina. Jack, uh, how was your week? What's your takeaways from this place? This is uh, my favorite place I've ever been. <laughs> did you uh, manage to find any permit this week? Oh, I, I did. I did, yeah. It was, uh, it was a good week. Good. Well, give us some details. So um, I kind of bookended it. Um, first day, um, I landed three permit which I did not expect to do. Um, <laughs> and then uh, today, last day, last hour, landed one more. Nice. And, uh, and got to watch uh, one of my best friends in the world land two permit this week as well. So uh, it's hard to do better than that. But that's not the reason this is my favorite place. What is? Um, the fishery, of course, is incredible, right? But the attitude of this place, the atmosphere of this place is different than anyone I've ever been. There is zero pretension. There is a ton of uh, fun. Um, and you feel at home the second you walk in. Um, Jesse, who owns it, um, super cool guy. Um, and he cares that you have a great time, but not because he wants you to come back and pay him money, because he genuinely freaking cares. Um, and I found that to be the same with, with every guide. Um, and by the way, the food is off the chain beyond spectacular, which doesn't suck. <laughs> so somebody's kicking the tires, thinking about maybe coming down here. They've narrowed down the list a little bit. Um, who should come here? Who is this lodge ideal for? A serious angler. And by that, I don't mean you have to be really good. You just have to want to fish and not look for frills um to me the best frill in the world is the food so i got the frill that i wanted but um not look for a, a place where you're going to feel like you're at a, a at a hilton or something like that i mean you have to be interested in getting out on the water and fishing um and uh you have to be willing to kind of let your hair down and have a really good time so if you're more interested in a mint on the pillow place this isn't your joint. If you are interested in a place where you feel like, damn, this is a hardcore fishery, um, but it's still comfortable and fun, uh, get your ass down here. Any uh, advice you can tell people that, that would better prepare them for this week? <sighs> like every week, right? And I'm not going to repeat what I've heard on this podcast a hundred times, which is practice your cast, but I'm going to repeat it. Do it. Um, I, I, I think that come down here with a uh, good selection of small, if you're looking for a permit, good selection of smallish, you know, smaller than a dime, light-colored um, crab patterns, but also some mantis shrimp patterns. Um, but come down here prepared to spend, like any permit trip, hours looking at nothing and then 
minutes of the sheerest excitement, and but you have to be ready to do that, right? I mean, it's it's really easy to um, uh, think you're ready to do it, but it's another thing to, uh, to, 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 to actually be ready to make the shot. And if you don't make the shot, it happens, right? But um, yeah, that, that, that's it. It's pretty simplistic advice, but that's it. Right on. Congrats on a four-fish week. Thanks. So next up is Michael Schreiner from Bozeman, Montana. Michael, how was your week at the Lodge? Fantastic. What's a big takeaway after uh, a week of fishing these flats, hanging out with the staff, and spending time here at X Flats? Practice. That's your advice to anglers. Do not come down here thinking, ah, I fished last year, I'm going to do great, <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> Plain and simple. So? Fishing, I mean, we had great opportunities, great shots, and the only one to blame for not capitalizing is the angler. There you go. The guides kicked ass. They really put us in front of fish. We caught bones. We caught jacks. We caught permit. We caught tarpon. I mean, everything you can catch, we caught. But most of the time, if you did not catch that fish, it was no one's fault but your own. That's kind of a common theme that we talk about is the importance of practicing your cast before you go anywhere and certainly applicable here in Ishkalak. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What, uh, tell us about the food at the lodge. Dynamite. You Dynamite. Go. You're surprised by everything you're served in an excellent way. Um, everything was pretty darn healthy. Um, no one was lacking for food. It, at times you might have had a little too much food, but no one complains about that. All right. Well, thank you. So Todd Tracy from Park City, Utah, you just finished your week at X Flats. Give me a highlight of the last uh, week here fishing in, in Ishkalak. Well, catching my first permit was definitely a highlight. Um, such a beautiful fish, uh, so strong. Uh, you know, just having shots at them every day was fantastic, and being able to hook one and land it was, you know, something I'll never forget. And you got a couple for the week. I did get two this week, yeah. You yeah. closed out the last day of the trip, last hour. Last hour of the trip with uh, the second permit, absolutely right. <laughs> Our guides stayed out an extra hour, and they bo- they wanted to see us catch fish, and they delivered. So... Coming down, you hadn't been here before. You hadn't been to the Yucatan before. This is your first trip to this region. Um, you had certain expectations, maybe a vision in your mind. A week after being here, like, what are your takeaways? Did, did it live up to those expectations? What, what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely lived up to those expectations. Um, such a beautiful place. Uh, you know, just seeing the, the mangroves, the fish, the wildlife, that was fantastic. Um, I tell you what really exceeded my expectations were Jesse and his team. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect on that front, but, you know, they took such good care of us. The food was absolutely amazing uh, every night, and uh, that was something I didn't expect at all. So do you have any advice for someone who's thinking about coming down and maybe hasn't been to Ishkalak before? Yeah, I think, you know, come down with an open mind and uh, just willing to experience something new because this is definitely new. Um, you know, I, I think we fortunately had you know the whole place to ourselves a big group of guys all friends that was fantastic um but i think this is a place where you can come enjoy you know just with one buddy and and see what you see here how about a couple 
key pieces of equipment you were really glad that you maybe spent the extra money for, or took the time to to get it right when you were out there? Like, man, I'm I'm really happy with this decision. Yeah, I, I'm really glad I had wading boots. I mean, I've had them. I've really never used them, and we got out of the boat a ton here, which was a fantastic way to catch fish and to chase permit. Um, so I'm glad I had a quality pair of uh, wading boots. Um, high quality reel was also, you know, imperative as the permits ripping off 300 yards of line. Um, and lastly, I would say a uh, Yeti mixed drink glass to keep that ice cold. There you go. Well, good. Thanks for talking with us, Todd. Absolutely, Jim. So Sam Nasser, another Montanan here with us at X Flats. Sam, um, you waited until day six of the fishing trip um, to change outfits. And, yeah. and a lot, that's a question we get a lot about clothing like what what's the right thing to wear on the flats um sometimes people like you know, like a sun hoodie a pair of suplex pants you know shorts um you walked down the dock today and nothing but a speedo yeah how'd that go over well i like to express myself and uh i felt like the guides needed a little humor today and uh i think it made their day it made their morning and when you're out there it's not just about the fishermen it's about the guide as well so I wanted to give back to the guys that have given us for the whole week. Yeah, and and that I'm sure they appreciated that See. fact. Yeah. See. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you uh, your speedo was an American flag, I think. Yes. Yeah. Would it have been a better call to maybe have a Mexican flag speedo? Yeah. In retrospect, I think that was a mistake. Yeah. Um, I think what the ideal situation would have been a fifty fifty because we're, we're we're blended as a fishing team this week and border countries for the record. Right. Good point. And. Um, I think that we became brothers this week, and I think I get a 50-50 speedo would have been the way to go. And I just I didn't think through that, but I will the next time we come back for sure. So what was what was the highlight of the week for you here at X Flat, Sam? I think it's the people. Without getting you know like fishing's fishing. You go to a lot of places and you fish and you can catch fish and um, but you know the camaraderie that you build with these people and the the level of um, you know what they give back to you during the week is is bigger than the fish in my opinion so for me it was and it's to this day like i look at these people and go it's one of the most selfless group of people that you can meet and that's what i think as a as a fisherman that's what i want personally i can catch fish anywhere but to catch fish and feel like you're with family is a big deal. But, I mean, can you? Let's be honest. Can you really catch fish? I anywhere? personally can, yes. Some of the guys here are a little suspect for sure, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's it for this two-part episode of Waypoints, the podcast that is 100% dedicated to travel, adventure, and exploration. We had a blast here at X-Flats, and a huge thank you to Jesse Colton and the entire X-Flats team. Be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com to plan and research your next fishing trip, sign up for newsletters and new podcasts, and stay up to date on the latest travel news and developments. Join us for our next episode of Waypoints, and remember, life is short and no one ever regretted a life of adventure. This has been another episode of Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel and adventure angling. Waypoints is produced by Brian Gregson with music provided by the Steep Canyon Rangers. Visit yellowdogflyfishing.com for more destination profiles, travel news, and expert advice, and be sure to join us for our next episode.